is Upbeat with beatboxer, musician, speaker, and show host, Parker K. Hey, welcome to Upbeat, and thank you very much for being here and for listening in today or watching. If you're watching this on YouTube or on the website, parkercane.co, I've got an amazing episode today with Dr. Chloe Carmichael. Dr. Chloe is a licensed clinical psychologist. She holds a master's degree and PhD in clinical psychology from Long Island University, and she graduated Phi Beta Kappa Summa Cum Laude with a bachelor's degree and departmental honors in psychology from Columbia University in New York. Also in New York, her practice that she runs, uh, she employs multiple therapists and serves high-functioning business executives, people in the arts, and everyday people seeking support with their personal or professional goals. She's also the author of the book, Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety which we'll talk about in this episode. Uh, We really dig deep into that one and she shares with us some of her best tips and practices for harnessing our anxiety and nervous energy and turning it into something that can actually be very useful for us. So I'm excited for that. And if you want to pick up that book, which I'd highly recommend, definitely go to nervousenergybook.com, www.nervousenergybook.com. Particularly in this episode, like I said, we get into... Some of the best tips and practices that she can share with us from her book. And also, uh, we talk about how she was able to scale her business so quickly. Um, She will share with us in this interview. uh, So you'll hear it here shortly. But she started her business and within the first like six weeks, she needed to hire out, uh, hire more therapists because there were so many clients to be serving. So this is a very powerful episode where we not only learn, like I said, how to better harness our nervous energy and anxiety, but also we get to learn more about how we can scale our businesses quickly, uh, whether we're from home or we're brick and mortar. It doesn't really matter. She shares with us some very powerful tips uh, to help us kind of grow quickly and also get some media attention. So excited for this episode. Hope you are too. Let's get into it. Dr. Chloe, thank you so much for joining me on Upbeat. I appreciate you being here. Thanks, Parker. And I have to say, I love the name Upbeat. I like that name very much. (laughs) Thank you so much. Well, that's what we're here to do, uh, to help others be upbeat, to motivate them on their journeys, and also provide support. And so I'm very grateful to have you here to share some of that, some of your insight with us to help provide that support. Um, Before we get too into the questions or anything, though, I love starting with people's story and just kind of introducing uh, the guests, the new guests to the listeners. And so if you don't mind just providing a two or three minute breakdown, like who is Dr. Chloe? Maybe what were you like as a little kid and how the heck did you end up doing what you're doing now? Sure. Well, when I was eight years old, I told everybody I was going to grow up and live in New York City and be on television. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, those things actually ended up happening. So that was awesome. But it was definitely um, kind of a long and winding path to get there. So um, I actually started off as a yoga teacher many years ago. And I loved yoga. I still do. I was teaching individual lessons in New York City with a bunch of really stressed out, but very motivated and driven, intelligent uh, New Yorkers. And I found that they were 
you know, really loving the customized programs I was making for them that would include physical postures as well as meditations that would really help them to achieve whatever their particular goals were, whether, you know, de-stressing or increasing their focus, those kinds of things. And I loved it so much that I wanted to be able to go deeper in terms of really understanding their mind and their history and all those factors. And so that's why and how I ended up going to get a PhD in clinical psychology. It was a long process, like it's a minimum of six years uh, post-college to get a clinical psychology doctoral degree because there's a lot of um, clinical hours that are required. So I did that, but it was a labor of love. I enjoyed every minute. And then I opened my practice in New York City in, I think, 2012, 2011 or 12. And my practice grew. I you know, ended up hiring other therapists, started getting featured on TV. Um, a couple of years ago, I ended up getting a book deal for Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety, which was endorsed by Deepak Chopra. And then I also started creating like online masterclasses for people that want to deal with anxiety as well. So I've been doing a lot of different things, but the common thread is that I work with people that basically just want to uplift themselves and that have goals and ideas and that want to get there in a very driven, but also very self-compassionate way. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for providing that breakdown. It sounds like you're a you're on the right path, to say the least, <laughs> helping so many people, which is incredible. Um, and I wanted to pick your brain too, just in the times that we're in right now, you know, the last year and a half, two years being probably extra stressful for people. Um, what have you kind of noticed going on there? And do you have any, I guess, fast tips for anyone struggling with those recent issues? Yeah, so I do think that with the pandemic, I think is what you're referring to that mm -hmm. we've just had, you know, in the past 18 months or so, uh, we've had a, a big spike in stress, right, whether it be because of, you know, actual fears of COVID or um, some of the social isolation pieces uh, that people have had to be in, you know, from not being able to go about their lives in their normal ways. And I've seen people really actually grow from this or, you know, really struggle or kind of both, right? So yes, it's been a big stress for people, but it's also, I think, given people permission to kind of reinvent themselves. Like they haven't been going into the office and maybe they have been able to pick up some of those uh, passion projects or, you know, think about their side hustle or realize that they can actually live anywhere because suddenly their job is doing things remotely. What I think it's also stimulated people to do is to give themselves permission to acknowledge that they have stress and that they have anxiety um, and that they can learn some tools to use it one of the like major take-home points that I'm always trying to tell people is that anxiety does have a healthy function, which is to stimulate preparation behaviors. And so, yes, there's been a little bit more cause for anxiety lately, but I think the upside is that it's given people permission to learn how to take that anxiety and use it as a springboard to create whatever situation they actually really want. Wow, that's awesome. Um, so I guess in that, it's almost like um, you're saying like being insecure or having those those things that we're often like terrified of, 
can actually be a good thing. Is that like, is it my hearing that right? Oh, definitely. I mean, because yeah, like there's a time and a place when a person should be insecure. Um, Like when I opened my office, for example, I didn't know that I would even be able to have enough clients to stay in business. Uh, I had what is a healthy insecurity, a healthy awareness that if I didn't work my tail off to make sure that I found ways to get my name out there and to get clients in the door, then my business would almost certainly fail, right? So a healthy awareness of where we are insecure is actually what empowers us to start working to create security and to create stability. That's awesome. That's really, really cool perspective. Um, And I'm sure you break it all down in your books. I'm wondering... um, if you don't mind, because obviously I want people to go buy the book, which first, before we talk about it, what's like the best way for them to go get the book? Sure. Well, they can go to nervousenergybook.com. Super simple, nervousenergybook.com. Um, or they can go to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever, and just put in nervous energy, harness the power of your anxiety. And if they do get it and they do love it and they leave me a review, I would be so thankful. And I do have a free gift for anybody that wants to message me through my website or social media or whatever. Um, if you left me a review, I have a special gift because as we all know, reviews are everything. Online reviews are everything these days. Yeah, oh, that, that, that uh, helps astronomically because it, uh, everything has algorithms now and basically reviews help uh, make you more credible, somehow more valid. You know, it just helps all of our social credibilities in some way. But um, I definitely wanted to talk about the book and encourage to get uh, to have people purchase the book. So, I don't want to break down everything, but is there like a a favorite one, two or three um, tips that you have in your book that you don't mind sharing right now? Sure, sure. So um, I will, I'll tell you a little bit of an overview, Parker, and then, um, you know, just to keep it interesting, maybe you could even volunteer something from your own life that, you know, your life or your business, um, you know, that is a little source of anxiety. And then I can talk about like which technique in the book might be helpful. So just an overview is that there are nine techniques in the book. For, for harnessing your anxiety and basically trying to turn your anxiety into a superpower for short is what I like to say. Um, but the first technique in the book is a mindfulness technique because before we can really select which of the other eight techniques to use, we first have to really know what I call the nature of the anxiety because sometimes anxiety and stress the best way to deal with it is to learn to take a deep breath, step back, let it go and calm down. Other times, that's actually the worst thing you can do, right? When I was starting my practice, for example, if I had said, oh, I'm really nervous about if I'll be able to get clients, I'll just take a deep breath, step back and calm down. No, (laughs) that would not have helped, right? Other types of anxiety, you actually need to learn how to lean in and face those fears and deal with them. So again, the, the, The book is a little bit like a cookbook in the sense that you don't have to cook every recipe in it. Every technique might not be for you, but the first technique is the one that I do encourage people to make sure they do, which is about learning to observe and understand the anxiety. And then you can choose which of the other eight techniques would really be tailored for your situation. So with that, Parker, if you want to throw an example at me, then I could throw a technique at you. 
Okay. Um, you know, staying somewhat relevant to the podcast and uh, I'm sure many of the listeners who are listening in right now, I, I'm one of those people who feels extremely confident, like internally, like I know that I'm good at editing podcasts or something. And I just, to give you an example, I, I have a podcast editing service where I edit podcasts for clients and I'm always looking for more clients. But for me, I know I'm good at doing it and I know I can provide them a solid product and be competitive with anyone else out there editing podcasts and videos. Um, but for some reason, I have like the hardest time in the world selling me, selling my services, um, having that conversation with someone who's going to be paying me like, oh my gosh, what do I tell them? So, I always get super nervous before going into any kind of calls that's like trying to close a new client. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I was just writing down a few notes of what you said there. Um, so, first of all, that's awesome that you're good at editing podcasts. Maybe I should ask you to help edit mine because <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. actually like a really awesome skill. Um, and the first technique that pops into my mind for, for you, Parker, might actually be a technique called thought replacements, okay? Because you said that one of the thoughts that goes through your mind is, oh my God, what do I tell them? Right. Mm -hmm. And obviously that would be a very alarming thought to have going through your mind before a client meeting, because what that also suggests is, you know, that, that you actually don't have a plan or you, you don't actually have any kind of a script or any major points that you know that you actually do want to make to the people. And Parker, I'm guessing that, that you actually do have a script and a plan and some, you know, information that you know you want to convey. And so, oh my God, what do I tell them is what I would potentially label as a maladaptive thought, meaning it's it's your confidence and, and doesn't even accurately apply to the situation because, oh my God, what do I tell them again implies that you actually don't have any prepared materials to discuss. And I'm assuming that that's actually not true. Uh, (laughs) So Parker's nodding his head yes for anyone who's not um, (laughs) seeing it. Parker's agreeing that indeed he does have (laughs) preparations for when he goes into client meetings. And so, oh my God, what do I tell them is actually not an accurate thought. It's one that's only going to make you um, needlessly nervous. So what you might want to replace that thought with is something like, um, I am well prepared for this meeting. I'll convey my services. And if it's a good fit, they'll book. And I would repeat that over and over. I'm well prepared for this meeting. I'll convey my services. And if it's a good fit, they'll book. And if you were a client of mine, Parker, I would actually I want to say force, but obviously like it's everybody's choice if they want to take my homework or not, but I might quote force you to actually memorize that to the point where you could even tell me how many words are in that statement that I just said for you, those three sentences. I would want you to know that statement so well that I could wake you up at three in the morning and you could tell it to me like the alphabet. So in a situation like that, I would start with certainly some thought replacements to make sure that you're actually telling yourself the truth, which is a more empowering truth for you before you do go into those meetings. 
I might also, you know, guide you to um, do learn, learn some good deep breathing skills because we all know we've probably all heard of, you know, fight, flight or freeze that when we go into kind of anxiety provoking situations for some people, their body goes into that mindset that there's like a from the caveman days that there's a giant lion about to attack us and we start getting small and breathing in a shallow manner, which just causes our brain to slow down. So I would want you to do some thought replacements and also some really good deep breathing to make sure that you were not in panic mode mentally or physically before you went into that meeting. Wow. <laughs> I feel like pretty overwhelmed just with the advice. Like I'm very grateful for it. So thank you for helping me out with that because I'm definitely going to do that. And hopefully, you know, in that example, we were able to help others too. Yeah. So I would just like to put unpack that example a little bit, as you said, so that other people, you know, who are thinking about thought replacements for themselves. Um, when I first learned about thought replacements in graduate school, because just to be clear, I didn't invent thought replacements. You know, those are a technique in my book. Some of the techniques I invented and some of them I did not. Um, but when I first learned about thought replacements in graduate school, which is, again, where you override a maladaptive thought such as, oh, my God, what do I tell them? And you replace it with um, an accurate thought, you know, that's actually going to be more productive. When I first learned about thought replacements, I got them confused with affirmations because coming from being a yoga teacher, I was like, oh yeah, I've heard of that before. And it might be like where, you know, you're saying to yourself, I'm the best salesman ever. And I close meetings effortlessly or whatever. Right. But the difference is, is that affirmations are often aspirational, there are things that are not necessarily true, whereas thought replacements are always 100% true and accurate. And this is important because some studies have shown that if you use an aspirational type of affirmation, the part of you that knows that it's really not true actually just gets even more insecure because it realizes that you're just pumping yourself full of empty words, happy talk, and you're actually failing to address the real problem. So I just want to make a distinction between affirmations, which do have their time and place, and I do love them, but we have to make sure that we understand that they're different from thought replacements. And in a situation like what you described, Parker, thought replacements would be helpful, but affirmations would probably not. Yeah, I'm the best podcaster in the world. <laughs> right, <laughs> right before that's what I was. I'm glad you went there because I was. I was going to ask about that. It piqued my interest when you said, "Make sure the thought replacement is true," and you say something like, "I am well prepared." You know, that is that would be true because I did prepare for that meeting, but it's not claiming to be like the number one best in the world at something. Right. And so to just add on another technique, like onto that example, so that poor Parker doesn't have to sit here coming up with list after <laughs> list of all the things that make him nervous. <laughs> um, but like another technique that I would apply to that example, Parker, that you generously volunteered is I would also apply another technique from my book called the zone of control. And in the zone of control, what we do is we take, you know, just a situation that's making us nervous, like, you know, 
I freak out before client meetings. And then we separate that into what parts, you know, can we control and what parts can we not control? So somebody might say, well, one of the parts that I'm afraid of is, you know, what if the person um, rejects me and doesn't want my services? We'd have to put that into the zone of non-control because obviously we cannot control other people. But what we could put into the can control box is, have I done all of the preparation that I possibly could do, you know, for this meeting? Have I made sure that I am well rested and have a glass of water nearby and all that other stuff so that I know I'm ready to bring my best self to the meeting? Yes. And we divided again, the whole kind of every little concern that we have, like, well, what if the person is rude or, you know, that kind of thing, it has to go into the zone of non-control, but like, what if I blank and forget everything I'm supposed to say that can actually go into the zone of control. Cause you can put a post-it note on, you know, your laptop screen that has like three points that you just want to make sure that you come to. So the point of that then is when you catch yourself, ruminating, focusing on the things that are in the zone of non-control, that's when you know that you're wasting that nervous energy. You're just spinning your wheels. And the beauty of it, of realizing that, is that all you then have to do is just choose to point your eyeballs at your list of the things that are in your zone of control and then start taking action around those things. And that's how we harness that power. Because when we do get anxious, we get a little extra adrenaline, we get a little extra energy, which can backfire and just make us feel jittery if we don't know what to do with it. But it can become a real gift if we have a good list of exactly what to knock out with that energy. That's incredible. So yeah, you're taking that what commonly is is uh wasted i guess energy <laughs> not necessarily negative but totally wasted energy and turning it into uh i guess a valuable resource exactly that's really cool and that was the so that was two or those three tips from your book right i just want to kind of break it down for uh the listeners again and for myself like one two three which ones were those that was two techniques. Two. So the, okay. the thought replacement to override, oh my God, what do I tell them with the truth, which is I'm very well prepared for this meeting. I'm you know, going to bring my best effort or you know, whatever it is, but something that is accurate and is actually more supportive and uplifting for you. And then the second technique was the zone of control, which is where you think about the general topic of client sales meetings and how they make you nervous. And then you jot down every little thing about it that makes you nervous. And then you divide that list into the parts that you can control and that you cannot control. And then you just deliberately only focus on the parts that you can control. Awesome. Well, I love it. Thank you. And if you don't mind, I have a kind of a clarifying question because I've listened to you on some other podcasts and stuff, just trying to make sure I was prepared and all that. And I, I personally had a question. Um, you talk about anchoring statements. And so I'm wondering what the difference is maybe, or if they're the same, uh, thought replacement and anchoring statements. Yes, Parker, that is such a good question. And I actually even 
that is one of the questions in my book as well as I say like, okay, we also have a separate technique which is called anchoring statements and some people get confused about what is the difference. So Parker, that is a very astute question. Um, so anchoring statements are really well suited for people that um, basically suffer from like panic attacks, right? So like where they almost lose the ability to be verbal. So the example I give in, in the book is um, of a business person who goes to a sales meeting and um, he just totally loses it. Like a lot of times with people with panic attacks, like they'll think that they're going to die. Like literally they, they, they just lose the ability to have any thoughts at all. They can't even think, Oh my God, what do I tell them? Because that's a verbal thought in your mind. If you're having verbal thoughts and things like that, thought replacements are good. Anchoring statements are for people who just feel completely adrift. It's almost like they've lost their ability to think at all and their mind just goes completely blank and it's really scary for them. So examples of anchoring statements for those uh, types of situations would be statements that are so simple that they would bore you to tears in your normal life, but they're actually necessarily simple so that you're, you know, mentally blank mind is able to latch onto them and start thinking in words again. So anchoring statements might include things like when you feel that panic happening, um, I'm, I know I'm safe. My doctor says I'm healthy. This will pass in two minutes. I know I'm safe. My doctor says I'm healthy. This will pass in two minutes. And they keep repeating those things or things like my head is above my shoulders. My shoulders are above my hips. My hips are above my ankles. My head is above my shoulders. My shoulders are above my hips. My hips are above my ankles. Things that are just so simple that their only real purpose is actually just to reconnect you with language because some people get so overwhelmed suddenly that they actually lose their ability to be having a train of thought in the first place. Dang. Yeah. And I, we don't need to go down this tangent, but I've, I've had panic attacks before and I know many people who have had panic attacks before. And I would definitely say that that, that would have been a lot more helpful to <laughs> to know that when experiencing that. So, really great advice for anyone who may suffer from having panic attacks. Just have your core really simple anchor statements to, uh, yeah, act as an anchor, bring you back to earth, so to speak. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I love everything you're sharing, and I I thank you for the for the insight. I'm sure we could talk all day about um, all these kinds of things. But I do want to touch, touch on something before we kind of get in this last segment here. Um, you have turned this um, expertise of yours, this passion of yours into something quite successful. And I know a lot of the listeners, they're trying to get in the media. They're trying to um, become success stories themselves, which we are all success stories. But we definitely want to get in the media. We want to grow our followership. We want to try to hit check those boxes, so to speak. So, if you have any advice, I'd love to kind of pick your brain there too, like on on what it is you've been able to do to grow your practice, to get in the media, to sell your book, those kinds of things. 
Yeah, sure. So, I mean, it's kind of like a, a big, broad question. So I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, you know, offer like a few tips, but, you know, let me know if there's anything more specific that you wanted me to get into. But, you know, I'll just share that when I started my practice, I had zero contacts in the media, like zero. Um, so it's not like I started off with some kind of a running start in the media. Um, but, you know, I've, I'm really like, shocked and thrilled at the way that like I now really talk to the media like at least you know a few times a week usually um and and the way that it started is I I used a website called help a reporter out HARO H-A-R-O is like what they call themselves for short and it stands for help a reporter out and what I did is I went there and I made a profile for myself and it's like where journalists can go and like ask questions um and then people, experts, you know, will answer them and the journalist may or may not use your quote. Um, so Harrow is one place they started. And then there's another one now that has started up called Quoted, but they miss, they misspell it on purpose. It's Q-W-O-T-E-D. So with a site like Harrow, what I did is I would see what questions the journalists were asking I would provide a very short answer. So one thing I've learned when I've told therapists who are taking my program, like for how to build a successful practice, um, when they've gone to Harrow in the past, they said, Chloe, I'm really upset because I spent like half an hour creating like a nice, you know, full answer for this journalist. And then they didn't even use my quote and it felt like a waste of time. And I tell them, look, you should really never send these journalists more than like three sentences. Okay. Like they're just looking for just the highlights and you don't have to make it really that deep. A lot of times they're just looking for basically the common sense take that somebody in your industry would have. Um, And so don't overcomplicate it. Just give them a few simple sentences, but to make sure that you do get kind of double mileage out of your time, know this, know that journalists are usually writing articles about things that the public is interested in. So if they're asking, for example, how has, you know, podcasting affected the pandemic or whatever, um, you would know, oh, so it's a question in the public's mind to think about podcasts and, and the pandemic. So you would give them your answer in just a few sentences, but then you would take those few sentences that you wrote and make sure you re- recycle them, use them on your social media or talk about that same topic, you know, on your LinkedIn or put those little morsels of thoughts into your newsletter, making sure that you're really getting double mileage out of them. And then also what I did is anytime a journalist would quote me, I would make sure to start following that journalist on social media and retweeting or resharing their work at least once a month so that I could stay on their radar. And what I also did is on my website is I would make sure that I had all of my, um, like they call it meta tags and metadata, like where every page on your website has a little summary of what it says. And again, I had zero tech experience. Okay. So this was like 
not easy for me, but I had a rule for myself, which is that I would report to work for 40 hours a week, whether I had a client or not. And I would either be seeing clients or doing things that would help me get them. So I would be doing things on my website. Like I would create a press page where I would start then putting all of the little quotes that I had ever had, because the more you've been in the media, then the journalist will Google you and they'll like on your hero profile, you'll have say drchloe.com slash press. And when they can start seeing like, oh, this person has been quoted in the media before, you know, then they're more likely to use you. And then when I was able to get um, like on TV at all, um, I would take a little clip of the TV, obviously, and post it to Facebook. And then I would promote it to the and I would set the demographics to be to promote it to TV producers in New York, right? So I would make sure that whenever I did have a really good clip or anything, I would do everything in my power to get it out there, like in front of the right people. Um, and then as well, like with my book, um, the way that I ended up getting a book deal is it's really kind of a funny story. Um, a friend of mine had told me that I needed to write a book. And so I was working on the proposal um, on my laptop at a restaurant bar, which I love to do. And so I was just sitting there. I happened to actually be in the publishing district of New York City. Like all the publishing houses are kind of in the Flatiron area. And I was sitting next to this woman who is asking me. We got to chatting and I told her what I was doing. It turned out she was a big editor for one of those big houses. And then I just, you know, I'm, I'm very outgoing. So I also have blogs about networking and things. If anybody wants to, you know, like I said, go to my website, find me on social media. You can message me, ask me for any of this stuff and I'll send it to you. Um, but I just got to chatting with her and telling her about the book I was writing. She then asked for a copy of the proposal. And next thing I knew, she passed it to a couple friends and I just kind of kept pushing the envelope, inviting people out for drinks, getting to know them. And literally within like six weeks, I, I had a book deal. It was actually the easiest thing in the world. And I don't, I know it's really hard for some people. So I don't mean to be flip about it and be like, oh, it was so easy for me. But I, I do want people to know it doesn't have to be hard. If you just keep putting yourself out there, um, it, it really is possible. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and through all that, you, you alluded to something which basically sums down to hard work and showing up. You know, I think a lot of people, they want these things, but then they don't really do anything for it and then they feel bad for not having it. Uh, and I don't say that to be rude or anything, but like it takes showing up. It takes the hard work. It takes the long hours. Like you said, you had goals to, even if you didn't have clients, to still show up 40 hours a week. You took it the extra step and not only interacted with these journalists, but then you followed them and then you stayed in touch with them and stayed actively on their radar. And then, yeah, with your book, you were showing up, you've found people that could help you get this deal. And then is probably a lot of work to get the book finalized and out there and lots of choices and decisions to be made. And you just were always showing up and putting in that effort. So, 
props to you um, and also you stand as a good example for people who want those things. They just got to show up. <laughs> well, thank you, Parker. I'll, I'll just share a little bit as well about how, how I did make it a little easier for myself, you know, to show up because as you said, a lot of people want these things, but, you know, maybe they get overwhelmed. And I do talk in my book also about perfectionism, which, you know, the book is, I just have to say, not only in print and Kindle, but it's also an audio book because I do feel like there's something helpful about just surrounding yourself with encouraging voices, you know? So mm-hmm. um, I was really insistent that the book had to be an audiobook. But there's also a big section in there on perfectionism. Because there is that fear that a lot of people have, like if they're not doing everything perfectly, then they can be so hard on themselves that they just kind of stop. Um, And at the same time, though, we don't want to get rid of our drive for excellence. And so I I do look at that in the book about how we can um, recognize the areas that we need to improve, but do it with enough compassion that we still, you know, give ourselves room to move forward. And one very practical tip on that, um, that I found helpful to just make it easier for myself to show up is that I would literally keep two different general lists for myself. One was a list of things I could do to grow my business if I was feeling extroverted. And so that would include things like, you know, hitting the phone to like call other local doctors and see if we could be referral partners or follow up with people I met at networking events or, you know, write in, you know, newsletter, just extroverted type of activities. And then I had a whole other list of like more quiet, personal, don't feel like talking to anybody today activities, like, you know, the admin work of creating all those social media accounts or the admin work of like setting up a newsletter list or the admin work of making those meta descriptions of the pages on your website. And so I found that by having uh, two different types of menus for myself, it was easier to show up because I didn't have to really ever try to make myself do something that felt totally apart from what I was actually feeling in the mood to do. <laughs> yeah. No, I've never heard of that before. And I think that like having two lists for ext- your extroverted self and one for your introverted self, I think that's awesome. Um, if I could add on to it with anything, just coming from like an editor standpoint, someone who edits audio or video or pictures, um, for me, something that helps is setting a time limit. So I still obviously want to offer the best product possible, but at the end of the day, I don't want to spend 10 hours on something that really doesn't, I mean, really it could be done in like an hour and I'm just a perfectionist, right? So um, allowing yourself like a certain amount of time where like you're, you have enough time to put in a good amount of work, but if it's not, if it's not ever going to meet your standards, you're never going to be done with it. So <laughs> got to put a mm-hmm. time limit. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good one too, Parker. Thank you. Well, and thanks again for, for sharing everything you have. I'd have this kind of last segment, um, just faster questions, um, more fun, lighthearted ones. But before we move on, I just want to make sure um, that we were able to share whatever we needed to today. Or if you had anything else like on your mind that was pressing that you wanted to share. Yeah, I would just say again, one more time that anxiety does have a healthy function, which is to stimulate preparation behaviors. So that's why I call it nervous energy, harness the power of your anxiety, because I promise that there is an upside to it. And um, if people want to learn more, they can go to nervousenergybook.com. Awesome. Sounds 
Great. Thank you. Everyone definitely head there. And then Dr. Chloe, we'll do this kind of last segment here, but what makes you upbeat? You know, that is a really good question. I mean, I, to be honest, I think part of it is I just, I, I have a, I have a profound awareness that there's great suffering in the world. And I know that sounds like a weird reason, like why would that make me upbeat? But I just know that my worst day is somebody else's dream life, you know? So I just, I have a a very profound sense of gratitude for all that we have. You know, I mean, I, I, I would assume that probably most people listening to this show um, have access to food, they have access to plumbing, they have access to healthcare. Um, And so I just think about those things whenever I'm struggling and I, it just really helps me to stay upbeat and thankful. Who is your number one influence or inspiration? You know, that's a good question. I would, I mean, first of all, I would say glory to God, right? So again, for me, spirituality, for everyone, it's going to be a different way of doing it. But, you know, psychology studies show over and over that if you have a meditation practice or a religious practice of any kind, um, that's a big protective factor for people when times are tough. So um, I, I would definitely look to that higher power as, as the as the biggest influencer. Um, and then I would also personally look to my therapist, right? So I am a clinical psychologist. I do practice what I preach. And so, you know, I've been in therapy and getting coaching and those kinds of things throughout my life. Um, I, I guess I don't really point to you know, like a, a particular celebrity in the media as much. Like I, I kind of like go all over the gamut when it comes to like, I'll be reading Deepak one day, Deepak Chopra, and then like maybe listening to Joe Rogan's podcast the next day and, you know, kind of like going all over the place. But um, definitely just for me, seeing an actual therapist or coach every week helps me to stay connected and centered in myself the way I feel I should be. Love that kind of a side note but uh we should try to get you on the joe rogan podcast <laughs> i think you'd be a good guest on his show that'd be awesome that would be awesome if you have any connections let me know <laughs> um, what kind of music do you listen to to kind of keep upbeat and motivated you know what rap I love, I seriously love rap. In fact, one of my recent podcast guests was um, Saigon, who I met on the set of Love and Hip Hop. Um, And I, I mean, like, I'll admit, like, I actually ask myself sometimes, like, if I should be listening to some of this stuff, because I get into like some pretty heavy, (laughs) like, you know, um, take no prisoners, freaking do it you know type of rap but like that just it just really energizes me and it it makes me feel um makes me feel aggressive and like i just want to like go grab the world by the you know what and have my way with it and i i like it you know yeah (laughs) um do you have any favorite tv shows or anything right now you know um i i don't actually watch uh a lot of TV, but um, you know, I, I I like to watch old-fashioned movies sometimes, or I just like to listen to audiobooks a lot. Uh, just kind of like podcasts, that kind of thing. I'm not so much into TV these days. Yeah, what I'm noticing it a big trend in that one. That's another side note. But most of the guests actually have said 
I actually don't really watch that much TV. So I i don't know if I should remove the question or just let that be an example that, you know, a lot of the people out here grinding are not watching a lot of TV. Good for us to know. Um, what is your, I guess, favorite social media platform and where you'd encourage people to go follow you? Yeah, two places. Um, one is Instagram, just, you know, because that's where I have the most followers is that Instagram. But um, one of my favorites, though, is actually YouTube. So drchloe.tv will take you directly to my YouTube channel, like drchloe.tv, because that's where I took all of my, not all of them yet, but I took a lot of my blogs and I made them into video logs, like where I talk through them and I just have a lot of other content there. I I love to share with people. So YouTube has been a good uh, format for me. So YouTube and Instagram are my favorites, though I am on basically all the social media now, including Twitter too. I'm trying to get a little bit more into Twitter, but I just don't tend to get as much interaction there. So, but I'm, I'm all over the place. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being on Upbeats. Um, I'm a beatboxer, so I'm going to send us out uh, with beatboxing your name real quick. Awesome, Parker. Thanks so much. It was great to be with you. <laughs> Thank you. So there you have it, my interview with Dr. Chloe Carmichael. And of course, we'd both love to connect with you. You can find me at my website, parkercane.co, parkercane.co, or Dr. Chloe at her website, drchloe.com, drchloe.com. If you enjoyed the episode or got value from it, then please leave an upbeat review or share it with a friend that is always super appreciated. You're the best. I'll see you next week. This is Upbeat with beatboxer, musician, speaker, and show host, Parker K. Subscribe at parkerk.co.